Our scripture this morning comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Sarah Fisher is reading our scripture this morning. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, if you would like to follow along there in your own Bibles. Good morning. Scripture is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor in or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me? Oh God, we thank you for this, your word, and make this your word be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We've likely all heard that quote. We, we, we may not know exactly the background of that quote, but we've all heard that quote. Many of us, we may even recognize um, who said that for the first time. That was Franklin Roosevelt in his first inaugural address in 1933. 1933 was the absolute peak of the Great Depression that began in 1929. In, in September of 1929, the Dow Jones Industrials… Now, now think about these numbers here for just a moment as we think about where the Dow is today. It hit, it hit over 27,000 this past Friday as it began its climb back up from, almost, from over 30,000 previous to, the, to this global ec- epidemic. But in, but in September of 1929, the Dow Jones Industrials hit a whopping 381 points. That was an all-time high in September of 1929. Well, well, in just a couple of months, it had, it had dropped from, from a high of of 381, it dropped 48% in the next two months. 48% in the, in the next two months. 
prime securities that were part of that Dow Jones Industrials, they began to topple one after another after another. Great American companies like General Electric fell from a, t- a high of 396 points to, um, uh, to 210 points in less than two months' time. AT&T dropped 100 points. DuPont fell from a summer high of 217 points to 80 points. And, and get this, RCA, RCA, you know, the, the maker of electronics, it's a, it's a great American company. Their common stock went from $505 per share to $26 per share. <laughs> an incredible, an incredible drop. Unemployment topped 25% in 1932. 25%. Again, re- re- remember where, where we are as a culture. Unemployment is, has been running rampant. It finally got up to 13.7%. Unemployment in 1932 was 25%. And that coincided here in Oklahoma with, with the Dust Bowl. And so by 1932, the, the skies were beginning to become black here in, even in Oklahoma City, but especially in far western Oklahoma and west Texas, northwest Texas, and eastern or southeast Colorado and eastern New Mexico, southern Kansas. The sky was beginning to come, become black with all of the dust that was in the air because of a, because of a prolonged drought. And so here in Oklahoma, not only were we, were we experiencing incredible, incredible unemployment, but then on top of that, our farmers were going broke one after another, after another, after another. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that the polio epidemic was beginning to, to ramp up, especially in places like Philadelphia and Los Angeles and New York City. In our culture, whites were calling for the, white folks were calling for the firing of African Americans so that, so that white people could take over those jobs that African Americans had. Black unemployment topped 50%. And so it was into this culture. It was into this culture in 1933 at his very first inaugural address. Franklin Roosevelt uttered those immortal words, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. And indeed, we know fear today, don't we? I've gotten where I can't hardly watch the news at all especially the national news, especially those, uh, those news networks, because it's always bad news. It's always, it seems as though we are, uh, w- w- it, they, are they are playing upon our fears, the fears of this unknown um, ravages of this virus, fears of, 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 of civil unrest and political uprisings, fear of a financial uncertainty. Oh, oh, indeed, in our culture today, we know exactly what fear is like. And Jesus' followers, 
They knew exactly, they knew exactly what financial uncertainty and political unrest and disease of the ravages of a disease and, and, and outright religious persecution was like also. Today we're, we're examining Jesus' greatest sermon ever. It's his longest discourse that we have in the Gospel's account. We, it is known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. In that, in that Sermon on the Mount, there were over, over a thousand words sermon that we have here of Jesus, and it spreads, it spans across a number of, a number of chapters in Matthew's Gospel. And in, in, this, in this series, as we've been examining uh, this greatest sermon ever of Jesus, we have seen how, how Jesus uh, taught, well, he first started off this incredible sermon by, by talking about the blessedness, the, be- the blessedness of being, of being an outcast, the blessedness of being the downcast, the blessedness of being an outsider, the blessedness of being uh, the least and the last and the lost. In the, in, in the viewpoint of culture. Oh, the blessedness of those things. Because Jesus was teaching us where God reigns, it is, it is a blessedness to be, in those, to be in those circumstances because God is reaching out and sharing His grace and sharing His blessings with those who are feeling like outcasts and who are indeed outcasts. We've seen how Jesus' call to forgiveness applies to our own lives, where, where forgiveness is not an option for Christians. Forgiveness is not an option for followers of Jesus. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we must forgive. In fact, Jesus says the way that we offer or extend forgiveness to others is the same kind of forgiveness that we're going to receive from the Father. That was in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray to forgive us as we, just as we forgive, to forgive others. We've seen how truth-telling is so very important in our world, and we saw how last week we are called to, uh, we are called to let go of our possessions, to not serve, to not serve our possessions, to not serve our money, to not bow down and to, and to worship our stuff, but instead, but instead to bow down and and worship the only thing worthy of our worship and praise, and that is the Lord. And so Jesus has has just completed talking about money and possessions, how we are called to to serve God instead of of serving our money. And He follows that up with, with our words, with our words today. Therefore, He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is life, not more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus, Jesus' followers, they would have known, they would have known what it was to be in need way more than we know what it it means to be in need. His followers… The common people in Jesus' day were just, were, were just barely, barely getting by. This was a subsistence kind of living. They were not amassing great wealth. 
They, they, they did not have jobs in which their, their, their salaries in today's terms would be in six-figure salaries. No, no, not it, not at all. Many of, many of the followers of Jesus were indeed the outcasts. They were not the, the rich and the powerful, but even the, the wealthy were, were, were incredibly poor in today's, in today's time, would, would be incredibly poor in today's time. The middle class in, in Jesus' day were, were just barely, just barely not starving to death. The lower class, they literally were starving to death. If you go into many other countries in the world today, in the developing world, in places like Latin America that I have been in, 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 in Bolivia or, or in, uh, in, in Honduras or even, even in, in Puerto Rico, places that I have been, you begin to see that, the, that, that, that those who are the, the, the most poor, they literally are starving to death, and that's what was happening in Jesus' time. And so for Jesus to tell those followers of His, don't worry about, about what you're going to eat, it, 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 it would have struck them at the very core of who they were because they had to be concerned. They had to be concerned where their next meal was coming from because they had no idea where their next meal is coming from. You know, my biggest problem during this entire social distancing and staying at home is not being able to eat out at restaurants. Our biggest question in our household is, is not uh, where we're going to get our food, but instead, well, what fattening thing am I going to eat next? <laughs> What am I going to grab out of the pantry that is the most unhealthy, the most unhealthy for me? Jesus' followers. Jesus' followers instead, they had no idea, absolutely no idea where their next meal was going to come from. But he told them not to worry. Jesus' followers, they certainly understood political unrest as well. In Jesus' day, that, well, uh, right around the time that Jesus was born, shortly after Jesus was born, Herod the Great died. Herod the Great was, uh, he's known as Herod the Great, not by his followers by any means, but he called himself Herod the Great. He had a mental illness at the end of his life. Some have, have suggested that it came from a uh, some sort of sexually transmitted disease, or uh, there was some sort of other disease that was going on in his, in his life, but he was mentally ill at the end of his life. The year before he died, he had, he had uh, many of his family members killed. He even killed his own son. He, he watched his own son be killed because he was fearful that his son was about, trying, about ready to try to take over his throne. He was, in, he was an incredibly un, uh, unhealthy, to say, to say the least. He was a, well, he knew, Jesus' followers knew exactly what it was to experience political unrest. And so then when Herod the Great died, then there was a, there was a political vacuum in Israel. Herod the Great had ruled with an iron fist because of a previous uprising. And now there was a political vacuum there in Israel. Uh, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew nation, and, and in Israel, and so there were there were the on, on the one end of the spectrum there were the zealots that that rose in power, and the zealots were were known as folks who they were ready to overthrow the Roman government at all times, 
at all times. In, in fact, uh, the zealots were known to carry at least two swords with them and a couple of daggers at all times, ready for an uprising at any moment. And so there were the zealots that had risen in power. There were the Sadducees who had also risen in power. The Sadducees were, uh, they were very cozy with the Roman rulers, the Roman foreign rulers. These were the, these were the wealthiest of the wealthy, the Sadducees. They were, uh, they were intent on, indeed, they were intent on keeping the law, but more than anything, they were intent on keeping their power and wealth. They were incredibly, incredibly corrupt. And then you had the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, they get a, they get a bad rap for most Christians, for most Christians, but the Pharisees, they would have made incredible neighbors. <laughs> they would have been the best neighbors that you've ever had. They were rule followers. They made sure that they followed every single detail of the Old Testament rules and the Old Testament law, but not only for themselves, they wanted to make sure that everyone else followed the rules as well. They wanted to make sure that, that everyone else's neighborhood or that everyone else's lawn was cut just like theirs. They wanted to make sure that everyone else followed, by all, followed all of the commandments in the Old Testament just like they did. Indeed, they recognized that the, that the priests were a special category and the priest had a, had a number of different uh, rules and laws that they were to follow, but the Pharisees, they made sure that everyone, not just the priest, but everyone followed those same rules and commands that the, that the priests followed. And then you had the Essenes. The Essenes were a fourth political party in Jesus' day, and, and, and they, were, they were all about getting away from all of it. They were all about getting away from, from all of it. If they could just seclude themselves enough, if they could just get away from all of it enough, if they could just social distance far enough, then everything would be right in their world, they believed. Followers of Jesus, they knew, every, they knew what it was like to experience political unrest. They, they also knew what it was like to, 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 know, about, uh, to know about race, uh, race relationships and, and, and racial injustices. In, in, in that world, there was, there was the Jew and there was the, there was the Gentile, and, and the two never, never mixed. In fact, so much so so much so that they, they, they did not participate in the same athletic events. They did not participate in the same kind of religious services, in, in, especially the same kind of religious services, but they wouldn't even eat together. The Jew and the, and the Gentile, they would not even eat together because they saw one another as such enemies. Jesus' followers, they knew, they knew what it was like to experience racial injustices and disease. <laughs> oh, they knew about disease as well. Leprosy, other skin disorders. Those that experienced leprosy, they would, uh, they, they would, um, well, they, they, they would have to cover themselves from, from head to toe, and they would have to shout out in the streets, leper, leper. So, I mean, we, we think it's bad having to wear a mask. How about having to shout out down the streets that you were unclean, be covered from head to toe. 
Jesus' followers, they knew. They knew what it was like to experience financial uncertainties and political unrest and rampant disease and racial tensions. They knew exactly what that was like. But Jesus said, do not worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about these things that you think are needs in your, even the things that you think are needs in your life. You know, here's what I found. Here's what I found about, about those of us who are middle class and upper middle class, middle American Christians. We seldom worry about our needs. We, in fact, I can't think of the last time that I really had to worry about a need. I worry instead about my wants and whims and wishes. Jesus is telling his followers, you don't even need to worry about your needs. You don't need to worry about where you're going to get clothes to cover yourself. You don't need to worry about where you're going to get your next food. You don't need to worry about those things. See, I think that Jesus was telling his followers that worry and fear is about trusting God. Or maybe maybe a, a little bit more clearly, worry and fear is about mistrusting or not trusting the Lord. When we are worryful, when we are worrisome, and when we are fearful, it says that we are trusting in our own strength to, to, uh, to figure out the problems in our lives. We're, figure, we're, we're, we're trying to rely upon our own internal fortitude to make sure that all of our problems are solved, that all of our needs are met, that all of our whims and wishes are met as well. When we worry and are fearful about this, world that we live in. You know, it's not, a, it's not an accident. It's not an accident that I preached on, I preached a three-sermon series on, on fear and, and worry just about six weeks ago. There is so much, there is so much in our world to be fearful of, to be, to be worried about. Jesus says, instead, instead, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be, will be added to you. Followers of Jesus are called to, to seek God more than we seek after worry and fear. Followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, we seek the Lord more than we seek solace in worry and fear. Dear sisters and brothers, I, I, I know where you're coming from. I absolutely know where you're coming from. I know what it's like to be petrified by fear. I know what it's like to be worried about, about, about going to the store and, and, and about, and about if my, is, my, is my food clean? Is, are, are the bags that, that were delivered from, from the grocery store, do I need to wipe all of them down and obsessively wiping our hands? I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's, I know what it's like to, to, to be in, in some in small, small little way, I, I know what it's like to be fearful to step out onto the street. Indeed, indeed it, was a, it, was a short, it was a short time frame. I was, I was on a mission trip in, in Honduras uh, right around the beginning of the Second Gulf War. And um, 
we were, we were there in this, I'll be honest, it was a really sketchy hotel, or at least, at least from my point of view, it was incredibly sketchy. We later learned that it was the nicest hotel in this entire town. It was pretty sketchy, though. Uh, we didn't hardly have any. We didn't hardly have any um, uh, any any hot water. Uh, in fact, there were the hotel. It looked like there were probably 50 or 60 rooms in the hotel. If you didn't wake up by about 3 a.m., you were not getting you were not getting hot water that day. The hot water was gone by about 3:45 every every morning, and it was it's a pretty sketchy. I mean, I wasn't exactly sure how clean my bed was. I, I certainly didn't leave any, anything of value lying around in my room. I made sure that all of it was, was on me at all times. We, we, um, when, we were there, when we were there in Honduras, the, the church that we were working on, uh, we were building a, a fellowship hall on the, back, on the back of the church. The church that we were working on, it got broken into. Um, people, uh, they, they broke... They, they couldn't break through the door, so they broke through the roof. The ceiling of that church dropped down into the church, recognized that it wasn't hardly anything to steal, and so uh, they, they took anything of value. They took, they took plastic chairs. They, they took uh, syrup. They took peanut butter. They took sugar. They took anything, basically, that was of any value that, that they may be able to get some sort of sustenance. So we had been there for about five days, and on on Friday that we were, that we were there, we, we woke up and we began to hear some, some things down at the desk about, about the schools being turned out that day because they were going to be protesting American, America's involvement in, um, in the Gulf. And so as we came, for, we came back for, for lunch, um, we, we took about two hours for lunch because it was so hot. We came back to the hotel for lunch, and literally we had to take a back way as we walked from the, from the church to the hotel. We had to take a back way because the, the streets were blocked off because there were thousands upon thousands of students protesting, holding up signs that were anti-American. And there we were. <laughs> A bunch of people from Woodward, Oklahoma, and Quinlan, Oklahoma, they're stuck in Honduras when we had thousands of people that didn't look like us, that didn't act like us, that had a different background, and they hated us. And we were fearful. I understand. Some small inkling, I, I understand. I understand what it is to worry and to fear. And sometimes those worries and fears, sometimes those things that we're afraid of are, are very, very real. But for followers of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, we find hope and meaning. We find life not in worry and fear, but we find life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. All of your needs, all of your concerns, all of your fears, all of your worries, they're going to be taken care of when we seek first the kingdom of God. So I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. You, you, may, you may be uh, somebody who's out there that thinks, uh, wearing a mask is a farce, and we have been totally and completely duped. 
You may be out there thinking, uh, this racial injustice thing, it's, it's, it's a farce, it's made up. You may, be, you may be out there instead, someone who is taking this very, very seriously, and, and, and you are, you're scared to death. You're scared to death of this virus. And you may be someone who, 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 who's out on the streets protesting as well. Whatever perspective you're in today, know that your meaning doesn't come in how you are how are you responding to these events in our world? But instead, your meaning and purpose comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things, they'll be taken care of. The Lord will take care of them. He'll see to that. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you for your incredible love for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we, I know that people who are worshiping today, that we have folks from, from every kind of viewpoint. We have folks that are scared of, of this global pandemic. There are others that believe that we've all been duped. There are some that, that, that believe that that uh, it, we, we just need to be colorblind. We just, we just don't even need to see that there's any differences between others and then there are others that, that believe that we need to, be, need to embrace our differences, to celebrate our differences. God, our hope and meaning does not come in how we are responding to these events our hope and meaning in life does not come in fear and in worry. Our hope and meaning in life does not come in the size of our army. Our hope and our meaning comes in you, Lord Jesus. For you are the one that is fighting this battle. You are the one who is defeating this enemy. So we are simply called to come and to seek you. Oh, Lord, right now, where we are, in front of our screens, in our homes, on our back porches, in our automobiles, right now, oh, Lord, we pledge to seek you first. Not to be full of worry, not to be fearful, but instead to seek you, your kingdom, and your righteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.